Hey everyone, and welcome back to uh, another episode of Family Football. I'm here with my favorite Sonu Mama. How are you doing? Good it's morning. been a while. Good morning to our listeners. And uh, it has been way too long, and uh, you know, it's nice to be back chatting again. I hope everybody's been well, keeping safe, and uh, you know, everything's going well for people as well as uh, the football in their lives, their lives in general. You know. Yeah, you know, it's finally we've come to a stage in the season where, like, we don't have as many games as we did, like, December, January, February, where we were just, like, yeah. every second day is another game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then especially football, international football, I, you know, I suddenly saw that we don't have a game for a few weeks, and I was like, what what happened? Like, I thought yeah, Chelsea was yeah. still in, you know, so many tournaments, and I was like, international break, and I was like, I yeah. totally forgot about that for a while. Yeah, did you watch um, any games over the international break? I didn't. No, I didn't. I like watched like highlights. I'm not a big international break fan, you know, because yeah, you just yeah. uh, the rotation and everything, just not the sure. same intensity. I agree. As the tournaments, but uh, there were certain aspects of it I normally enjoy. This time I was traveling a little bit, so I didn't really get to see much. I watched half of a game in total in two weeks and it was the first half of the friendly between northern ireland and usa and oh, really? okay. uh, that was really enjoyable because you know uh, as you and i have been talking about for a while there's a real uh, golden generation of u.s players coming through um who will feature hopefully in the next world cup but certainly you would hope that will peak in 2026 um when the u.s hosts the tournament so i uh, now that we're emerging from the pandemic back into international football and World Cup qualifiers will start this fall. I do plan to watch a lot of the U.S. men's national team and international breaks. And, um, you know, a lot of the players I was familiar with already, uh, you know, the contingent from Germany were missing because of travel restrictions. So we didn't get to see the likes of Tyler Adams or Giovanni Reina. Um, Weston McKenney was missing as well. But I saw, uh, for the uh, I saw a couple of guys that I haven't seen a lot of that I really liked. There's a teenage midfield player who plays for Valencia called Yunus Musa, who mm -hmm. had the choice to declare for the US or England. And um, he chose the US and it's the first look I got at him. And he's a really interesting guy, you know, very yeah. much a modern midfield player, works well in tight spaces, um, can progress the ball either by dribbling or by, uh, you know, quick vertical passes. So uh, it's no surprise to me that Greg Berhalter, the U.S. coach, has been very, very aggressive about getting him to declare for the U.S. rather than England and drafting him straight into the team. And then uh, I got to see a little bit of a really exciting fullback who plays for Barcelona, Serginio Dest. And I just haven't watched much of Barcelona lately, so I didn't get to, haven't got to see him playing for his club. But he looks, again, very much in the mold of the modern attacking fullback um, it can give you a, a massive creative outlet from that position. So even from half a U.S. game, I enjoyed what I saw, and it just kind of fueled my excitement about uh, what, what, what we have to look forward to in coming years with the U.S. men's national team. You know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, because I remember I used to watch a lot of the U.S. games when they used to play major tournaments, especially because yeah. I used to be in the U.S. during that time. And a lot of these players were, apart from Landon Donovan and um, Clint Dempsey, yeah. you know, you really didn't have any big names that you knew were playing in the Premier League. You know, so a lot of these players 
we they had there was like Brad Guzan and Tim Howard who were the keepers, but apart from that, you really just didn't know any American players, you know. And they just they played a different style of football. And now you know with all these American players playing abroad, you really know that they've got that European pedigree and they're playing that type of football and they're gonna come and influence the American game that way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm actually super excited to watch them. I didn't get a chance because you know again it's just international break isn't the same for sure. me. But sure. um, I did watch some highlights and stuff, and I saw Sergio Des playing on the left. Um, yeah, he played on the right in one game and on the left in the other. So it's good that he's got that versatility. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, and then normally I would watch England, but yeah. uh, you know. Gareth Southgate, when he announced the squad, dropped a bit of a bombshell in that he he doesn't think the best right back in the world is one of the best three right backs in England, which doesn't really make sense to me, and it didn't make sense <laughs> to a lot of people. Uh, so it's hard wearing my uh, you know Liverpool supporters hat to really get my head around that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as recently as three months ago, he was in everybody's world eleven as the best right back in the world, <laughs> and. Uh, you yourself named him as your best right back in the world yeah. as recently as December. Back in July and August, you named him as your best right back in the Premier League, in your Premier League 11. And now Gareth Southgate doesn't think he's one of the best three right backs in England. And for me, that was a mind blowing decision. And it kind of put me off watching the England games. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was a very bizarre decision, I thought. I, th- I think, along with Jaden Sancho, he's possibly England's best player in the future, you know. And, and you know the fact that the manager can't pick three right backs ahead of him was just just really like a lot of people. I was completely puzzled by that decision. You know, to me, I, I feel like England are just blessed with so many right backs. But no matter what right back you have in Kyle Walker or Aaron Wan Bissaka or Reese James, I don't think they come close. Or Kieran to Trippier. Or Kieran Trippier. I just don't think they come close to Trent at this point in time. Like, I just think there's no one like him, and why would you not want him to be playing yeah. in your team, especially yeah. in the Euros? There's yeah. just no answer for him. You have an extra winger who can just create... I think, the only, I think ahead, the only player who comes close to him in the Premier League is João Cancelo, and he's not English, you know. So yeah. Settles that argument. I, I just don't think Kyle Walker, you know, Trippier, I like him because he's versatile. Like, you can maybe even play him on the left. But, like, for those reasons, you might have him as a substitute. But Trent is definitely your main guy. There's no yeah. doubt about it. I know, you know, and I can see the attraction of Reese James because if um, Southgate wants to sometimes switch to a back three, he's familiar to that wing back system at Chelsea. So I can see the attraction of that. But again, it was a mind-boggling decision to pick three right-backs ahead of him, I think. And I think anyone uh, who has any doubts about Trent's quality, um, if you see his assist for the first goal yesterday against Arsenal, yeah. Un- it's, a thing, it's a thing yeah. of absolute beauty, you know. <laughs> Just a, it was a moment of pure footballing beauty, I thought, that assist. You know, you know to clearly, I think, you know, Jota was being marked by Chambers and Holding, who were like, two of the tallest people on the field for Arsenal. And Trent found that exact space for Jota to head to the ball where they, you know, they just weren't able to get it. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable for sure. The bit I loved actually was the way that when Salah played the ball through, without even touching it, Trent just adjusted his body shape automatically in order to shape himself to put it yeah. right on Jota's head. 
And it was just, it was the sign of a footballer who's just kind of, you know, um, Johan Cruyff used to famously say you don't need that much pace because the first five yards is in your head. You know? Okay, okay, <laughs> and, that's interesting. You know, you know and I think um, if you ever want to see an example of the first five yards being in your head, the way he's just adjusting his body shape as the ball's coming through, ready for that cross, just shows about how the great players really play the game in their head. You know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so you didn't you didn't watch uh, any England football this? this you know, night? I would have, uh, because, but you know, I'm still a fan of the England team. Yeah, the US team, but yeah, I was traveling a little bit, and yeah. uh, you know, and uh, I was pleased to see them win all three games and get the World Cup qualification off to a solid start. You know, that's yeah, that's actually thing. yeah, pretty big three out of three. I think you know, definitely moving in the right direction. I just hope they perform these zeros. Uh, as I've said often in the past, I am actually. Uh, a big fan of Gareth Southgate, and uh, I, I wish him and the team a lot of luck, good luck in the Euros. But we'll have other chances to talk about the Euros mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. I'm sure we'll be dedicating one or more discussions to that nearer the time. Yeah. Um, so, did you catch any Premier League or any other like uh, domestic leagues? Uh, yeah. Yesterday, I, I kind of caught up on uh, you know two weeks of not watching football by watching three yeah. games back to back. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I felt like, you know, I kind of, I felt like the hungry man who was finally allowed into the buffet yesterday. You know? <laughs> I just kind of gorged, <laughs> gorged on it all. So I started uh, with um, uh, Borussia Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt, which was uh, a very important game for Dortmund if they're going to get top four this year. And just they, they played like they've been playing all year. They just looked like they were asleep through the game. I track Frankfurt, of course, are a very good team who are heading for uh, Champions League qualification themselves. And um, Dortmund lost that game at home and pretty much finished any chances they have of uh, finishing top four this year, which have huge implications for them. Uh, they were going to, due to lose Sancho this summer anyway, um, it now looks like it'll be really challenging to hang on to Erling Haaland. I think yeah. this summer, if you can't offer him Champions League football next year, I just don't see that he's going to want to stick around. He is, of course, contracted to them. But I believe that in 2022, he has a $75 million year release clause. And they may get more than that this year, even though it's a depressed market, um, you know, with clubs' finances being hit hard by the pandemic. Uh, so if the player doesn't want to stay because you can't offer him Champions League football next season... They may decide to just cash in on him. And with Marco Rosa coming across from Borussia Mönchengladbach in the summer to take over that job, it looks like the rebuilding exercise uh, will be extremely challenging for him. A, he'll be playing in the Europa League rather than the Champions League. And B, he'll be um, starting a rebuild of that team without his two best players, I think Sancho and Harvard. So that I watched that. And then I watched the uh, Bayern Munich-Leipzig game. And Bayern Munich pretty much wrapped the title by winning 1-0 in Leipzig. And then after that, Arsenal-Liverpool. Um, Arsenal so, you know, so I had a... How about you? Did you? Have you watched many games this weekend? Um, This weekend, no, I didn't. I was, like, kind of watching... This point the, you start the, your day yesterday, I'm not going to make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it's it funny. I mean, I don't mind. It's, I saw so many videos where they were, like, analysts were talking about, like, how Chelsea are going to destroy West Brom. And I was like, yeah. you know, whatever people say things like that, things go wrong. So I was like, wasn't excited about the game from the get-go, especially, like, coming yeah. out of international break. I was like, this is... 
this is when you can easily mess up. So don't, you know. And um, I woke up and I saw it was like what this. It was like one one. And then right when I was putting on the game, it became two one, and I was like, oh man, this is just not going well. Uh, so I was pretty disappointed with the result, but you know, overall, I have to say I'm pretty happy with the way Chelsea's performing. I've been oh, no, they're playing fantastically. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're super. They're the form team lately. I almost yeah. feel like any uh, European manager that comes to the Premier League hasn't been fully initiated until they've been allardyced. And, yeah. uh, I think uh, I think Tuchel was fully allardyced yesterday. Oh, so that man. kind of uh, it's an important part of his education about what the Premier League's all about. I think that kind of direct pace, physicality, uh, just in your face way that Allardyce's teams will play, and how you know uh, it's happened to all the big teams over the years that they <laughs> feel like they're playing well and they come up against Big Sam and he just bloodies their nose, and that's kind of what happened to Tuchel yesterday. I think, and I think it's an important part of his education about what life. <laughs> Can possibly be like you know? I can't <laughs> the kick that Sam Allardyce gets out of it, just going like, "Oh man, like I just beat a big, huge European manager, yeah, you know, yeah, five yeah. two." Yeah, it's crazy. He's a greatly underrated manager. You know, he was using analytics and sports science and all the things that are fashionable now, like twenty years ago, at Bolton. Really, to get marginal gains and advantages for his team, and he has this, I think, unfair image of just being very kind of basic and rustic and direct and in your face but he's always um, been somebody who's been open to anything that will improve his team and yeah. he just has a record of making teams overperform against uh, opponents who've got much more resources and money than them and he's done it consistently over decades <laughs> You know, he, he really has, like, he really comes in later on in the season and pulls teams out. Like, I think the West Brom job is a little difficult and almost impossible yeah, I, at this point. But, you know, I think he definitely, uh, through the years, he comes in, takes the job on last few months and just pulls a team through and keeps them up, you know. And he's really good at it. Like, he knows how to play against these really tough teams. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, so yeah. yeah, so you know, it's interesting. We made a lot of predictions about the Champions League round of sixteen. What did you think about it? Like, what were your takeaways from that? Um, you know, it was uh, it was great. It was really good uh, to uh, to be watching Champions League football again after a break. I always liked the round of sixteen because it comes uh, uh, after we've uh, had a break of a couple of months. Uh, to watch domestic leagues and so on and so forth. So when it comes in February and March, it's always uh, great uh, to have it back. And this year, it um, it just completely uh, lived up to our um, expectations. You know, I think the big story out of it, obviously, and this won't be any news to our listeners, was just the emergence, I think, of Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland as being the next two global superstars. Yeah. And, uh, I think there'll be others, but they right now they stand head and shoulders uh, above the rest of their generation as, as um, the two prolific players. Um, and, and, you know, apologies for lapsing into cliche here, who are ready to, you know, uh, step into Messi and Cristiano's boots as being the two 
global superstars. And it'll just it's just interesting to see where they end up. I think anyone who gets these players will have, you know, a significant advantage over everybody else. I don't think it's a guarantee for success in the same way that, um, you know, having Cristiano or Messi hasn't been a guarantee of uh, winning the Champions League, uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they, Messi's won a couple at Barcelona, Cristiano won three, three or four at Real Madrid. So, I mean, it, it is an advantage, but it certainly doesn't guarantee you success. But it'll be very, very interesting to see where they both end up. I think that was that was the big story that um, emerged from the round of 16. The major upset, of course, was to see Juventus go out at the hands of Porto. Um, other than that, I don't think there were any major upsets, were there? I think they all cut, most of the ties went the way we predicted, although I did have Barcelona beating PSG. I can't remember which what you predicted on that tie. Did you predict Barcelona as well? I did, I did. I predicted Barcelona. Yeah, so so they were the two... Uh, that was Those were the two upsets, I think, Porto and PSG. If you can call PSG an upset, obviously, they're a massive club. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on the round of 16? You know, definitely, I think... Um, I think it definitely emerged as Mbappe and Haaland just grew to a different extent because they kind of pulled their own teams out of that round of 16. Yeah. Um, Mbappe really showed up against Barcelona without Neymar. You know, he yeah. kind of showed that this isn't just a, you know, a team that relies on Neymar. Like, I can also, you know, keep this team exactly where it needs to be. Uh, and Haaland just showed up with a lot of goals. And... Um, it was it was definitely really fun watching it. Um, the Porto yeah. Juventus game was something that really surprised me. Me and my roommate were watching it, and it was just blowing our mind that you know Ronaldo is not going to be in the Champions League this year. I think, you know, he was really at Juventus. His goal was just to win a Champions League at this place, and it just hasn't worked out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing that was was difficult. Uh, you know, because I was trying to, I was like feeling his pain in a way of yeah. what he was kind of going through. Uh, so it's it's kind of sad not to see Juventus, but I love seeing a powerhouse like Porto, you know, go through to the round of yeah, eight, me too. The quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, they're a huge club. They've won the tournament twice, and um, you know, I agree with you. And I mean, we'll come on to talk about this, but uh, I, I'm sure you were even more pleased that they got to the quarterfinals when they drew Chelsea, because that was a dream draw that everybody wanted. Yeah. As great a club as they are, I think that's the team. Either them or Dortmund were the team that all the big boys wanted, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the quarterfinals. Um, yeah. You know, let's, uh, we can start with Porto and Chelsea. You know, Chelsea, you said we're going to come out of the round of 16 against Atletico. I was a little iffy about it, and I said Atletico. Yeah. But, you know, Chelsea really, really showed up and it makes me a lot more confident. I think when the draw was coming out, I said that apart from, you know, obviously we couldn't play the English club. So I said apart from Bayern, nobody else really wants to play us right now. You know, I I uh, would agree. I think, uh, you know, and we spoke about this last time. uh, And I don't know if you remember back in uh, December, I think we had a discussion where we talked about uh, how the big clubs in England could strengthen. And at, the point, at that time, my entire argument was that Chelsea don't need to 
strengthen the playing side, they just need to bring Thomas Tuchel in. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, so it's no great surprise to me, to be honest, how quickly um, they've improved under him. They have a fabulous squad, and I think now they have one of the best managers in the world. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, their, their form in the Premier League has been tremendous since he took over. Uh, there's finally kind of a cohesion and a logic to the way they set up and the way they play in both um, the attacking and the defensive phase and in their transitions between the two. He clearly made it a priority to tighten them at the back before working on uh, you know, them going forward. And I think that's really worked for them because if you stop shipping the goals, there's so much attacking talent on that squad that they will you know, find a way to hurt the opposition at the other end of the field. So uh, prioritizing a defensive organization has really, really paid off for him. I think there was a couple of players that had just been bombed out by Lampard who've come in and done really well, like Rudiger and Alonso. And uh, sometimes it takes somebody coming in with a fresh pair of eyes to really see the all the qualities that are available in a squad and, and being underutilized. And I think that's what Tuchel's done. He came in from day one and picked out a couple of guys who'd completely fallen out of favor with Lampard, brought them into the team, and the team has benefited as a result of that. And, uh, you know, he's got a nice rotation going. Um, you know, the younger players are all getting a chance. Hudson Adoy, Rhys James, uh, obviously Mount, who's been superb under Tuchel. Abraham, they're all getting opportunities, Havertz, without being guaranteed a starting place. So, you know, everything's looking up for that club. And I think of all the quarterfinals, probably this is the one uh, that most people would agree isn't even a contest. You know, I think Chelsea have one foot in the semi-final, even though Porto did play extremely well over two legs um, against Juventus. I don't see them giving Chelsea any trouble whatsoever in this, in this time. What, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, you know, I have to, I kind of agree with you. I think Tuchel coming in, a lot of players that were, you know, kind of just abandoned, you know, are get like a revival. They feel like now it's like a fresh start. We get to play, you know, football again and we can show the new coach like what we're really capable of. Yeah. So I feel like everyone really steps it up uh, when a new coach comes in. And a lot of players, I think, you know, primarily the one I want to focus on is Jorginho, like really just was thrown away by Lampard. Mm -hmm. And he's come in and the way, you know, he set up that team, Kovacic, Conte and Jorginho are getting this rotation that's really working well. I feel like depending on what situation uh, or what team Tuchel is kind of coming up against, he picks his two midfielders that he wants to play with. Um, and he always seems to pick the right two. Uh, Conte is, you know, the one of those two has finally seemed to really, really, you know, start playing his best football again. I think under Lampard, you know, after Sarri had come in and made him a more attacking rather than defensive player, I always, I missed Conte because we were conceding so many goals and I always said that you know push him back into that defensive midfield role so that we concede less goals but now with that three in the back he's definitely brought in that def uh, that defensive stability and Conte is still able to play his game 
And so I really enjoyed that. I think the only thing that I've kind of not liked is because we've now playing three in the back, we have less one less attacking player, you know, playing. And although we have more attacking threat, I just think like we can't get enough of Ziek, Havertz, or Timo on the field consistently. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's a little... I, I, you yeah. know, I'm just going to interject there. I think you raise a really interesting point from the tactical point of view in that when teams play three at the back, they have to be very uh, careful about getting the balance of that back five right. Otherwise, it can just be five at the back. But I think Tuchel has done a good job on that because... If you see that he uses, you know, often uses Hudson-Odoi or Reese James in the right wing back position, and then occasionally Chilwell in the left wing back position, these are players who love to get forward. And um, so I think it's, I always think it's very important when you play a back three to have at least one really attacking wing back, and maybe to have one of your back three who's very comfortable on the ball stepping out into midfield as well. Otherwise, I think the balance between attack and defence can be too defensive-minded. And I think going back to the fall when England were playing with a back three and often picking, you know, the likes of, uh, of Kieran Trippier and, and uh, people like that in the wing-back, I think unfortunately wing-back and then having Rice and Henderson just sitting in front of them as two holders, I think if you're not careful a back three can become a back five and it can be an excessively defensive setup. But I think actually Tuchel's done a good job of making sure that at least one, if not both, of the wing backs are very, very attacking-minded players to maintain that balance. Yeah. But I, I do take your point that it means leaving out, you know, Ziyech or Havertz or someone like that, whereas if you're playing a 4-3-3, you might be able to incorporate one more player of that type. But yeah. I think the balance has benefited Chelsea in terms mm -hmm. of they notwithstanding yesterday's freak result, they've become very, very difficult to score against, you know, and that's that's part of the reason they've been climbing up the table so quickly, I think, you know. But anyway, yeah. Karen. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think you're right. That balance is kind of important. And, you know, a lot of the games, Alonso was getting to play left wing back, which he's really used to, and he's a big attacking threat on that side, sure. you know. And so I think he's found that good balance for sure. I think in my head, like, I just say that, you know, a, uh, when you play three centre-backs, you're trying to play a defensive game, and you get one less attacking player up front. But his game has, you know, really found that balance, and I just hope that he can transition that back into a 4-3-3 and still play that attacking football and that defensive yeah. mindset that we yeah, have. Yeah. And, and you know, historically, if you look at his time uh, as a coach at, uh, you know, at Dortmund... And then at PSG, I didn't really see him when he was at Mainz before he joined Dortmund. Um, you know, he has always had uh, a good degree of tactical flexibility. He's never particularly been wed to one system. You know, you can contrast him to someone like Antonio, Antonio Conte, for instance, who, yeah. who always plays three at the back and wing yeah. backs, whether yeah. he was in charge of Juventus or Italy or Chelsea or now Inter. I don't think Tuchel is quite in that mould. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, his teams have often played 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. So, uh, you know, your hope that once Chelsea are a bit more solid, they might transition to a formation which allows another attacking player into the team, I think is one that you may well see. Yeah. I think it's clear that he has prioritised making them tighter at the back, which was a big problem under Lampard. Uh, and, and, and 
they've, they've reaped the benefit of that, I think. And maybe in the fullness of time, you will see a switch to a formation which allows another attacking player into the team. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so let's move on to a different um, games. We'll, we'll stick to the same side of the draw. Um, Liverpool and Real Madrid, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, okay, um, this is, for me, probably the most competitive tie in the quarterfinals and the hardest to pick. Um, before I give you my thoughts on this, a little bit of history and a little bit of stats, how many times have these two teams combined won this tournament? Uh, like 16, 17? 20 between the two of them. Really? And, and the other six teams left in the tournament, how many times have they won it combined? Uh, Chelsea's won it once, Porto twice, so three. City never. Uh, I don't know, maybe like seven, eight? No, so yeah, all other, the other six teams have won it ten times between them. But six of those are for Bayern. Um, yeah. And uh, so these two teams have won this tournament 20 times. Uh, and they've featured in, one or both of them have featured in four of the last five finals. So when it comes to European pedigree and European royalty, this is it. This is the time. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, these are two clubs whose entire history and identity is, is basically steeped in this tournament. And I think it's a mouth-watering tournament, uh, not just because I'm a Liverpool fan. I would say that as a neutral. And I think it's genuinely the hardest to pick. Out of, out of the four ties. I think there's not much separating these two teams. Um, Liverpool, uh, you know, have had uh, well-documented challenges this season, uh, not just with injuries, but all the injuries being concentrated in the same position. Uh, you know, they've, uh, their centre-back pairing for the last two or three games has been Nathaniel Phillips and Ozan Kabak, which would be unimaginable at the beginning of the season. And I think it's the 19th, centre-back uh, combination or 20th, I think 19th centre-back combination they've used this season, which gives you some insight to the extent of their challenges in that position. And for that reason, I'm going to go with Madrid very slightly. I think I can't see the inexperience of, of Phillips and Quebec, you know, and then the players like Benzema and Vinicius that Real Madrid have in that position, I think that's what's going to give Madrid the edge. Yeah. I think, I think, I would be very confident that a full length, full strength Liverpool could beat this Madrid team. Uh, but uh, I think this is this is a genuine toss up. It really is. It's a toss of a coin. But uh, I'm 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 going with uh, Madrid on this one. This is the tie of the round in my mind. Uh, it's it's absolutely the standout tie in terms of, uh, you know, not necessarily being able to put a finger on who's going to win. Uh, but I'm going to go with Madrid very narrowly just because of the inexperience Liverpool have in the centre-back position. What are your thoughts on this time? I have to like, fully agree with you. I think, I think Liverpool full strength with Van Dijk and Gomez at the back is very likely to beat this team. You know, Real Madrid, let's not forget, is just fully stacked in every position. Um, but they're definitely struggling this season. Um, more than my thoughts, I kind of just have a question for you. Is that like, you know, both teams know that Liverpool's problem are in their center back. And, yeah. you know, watching yesterday's game with Kabak and Phillips, Phillips coming in from, you know, Leighton Orient and now going to 
play Real Madrid in the same season, what what should Liverpool's strategy be in this in this you know time? Well, actually, I, I don't think there'll be a specific strategy. Klopp has always been uh, it's it's part of his coaching philosophy that you defend as a team and you attack as a team, and I think. Um, I don't think anything will really change. Um, you know, Liverpool play a very, very, uh, in a very compact manner, you know, where there's not much of a distance between your attacking players and your defending players at any given time. Uh, so that means that when you're out of possession, you're really trying to compress the pitch for your opponents. And then when you gain possession, you're trying to expand as much as possible. Uh, but what it means is when they move forward in the attacking phase, they do. the centre-backs are expected to step up to maintain that compactness. And um, while there was so much chopping and changing in that position over the last few months, um, teams were able to exploit this, just like Chelsea did when they came to Anfield a few weeks ago, uh, by just having pacey players get in behind this high line uh, which wasn't being executed perfectly because of these very in, inexperienced centre-back combinations that were trying to execute this system. Uh, but I think Klopp won't really change anything. Um, Quebec and Phillips now have played three consecutive away games at Wolves, Leipzig and Arsenal, where they haven't conceded a goal. And Liverpool have won all three games. And, and while Wolves, Leipzig and Arsenal aren't Real Madrid, they're also not bad teams, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I don't think Klopp will do anything differently. I think he'll expect these these lads, and he, you know, he's got a history himself. Back at Dortmund, when he introduced Mats Hummels and Nevin Subotic, they were both nineteen and twenty at the time, and he he coached them to two Bundesliga titles. And Klopp is a centre back himself. That's he he was a journeyman centre back himself. Never. That good a player, but good enough to play Bundesliga. You know, yeah. Bundesliga won. So he wasn't bad. So this is his position. He knows this position. Yeah. And I think, I don't, I don't think he'll do anything different. I think moving Fabinho back into midfield is massive because he can really control games uh, from that position. I saw a quote from Gary Neville yesterday on Twitter saying he's absolutely the best number six in the Premier League. And I think... Part of the knock-on effect of all these injuries is that Liverpool have not only had 19 centre-back uh, combinations and inexperience at the back, but two of their best midfield players, Fabinho and Henderson, have gone missing from midfield in order to fill in at the back. And uh, So it's had a knock-on effect all over the team. But I think a decision has been made now that Fabinho is not moving out of midfield, yeah. regardless of who's <laughs> available at the centre of defence. And I think they look much more... Um, I think part of the defensive strategy is having a great player like Fabinho in midfield shielding those two young centre-backs. So mm -hmm. I don't think they'll do a whole lot that's different. I think this game, given all the injuries they've had, has come at a good time because these two boys have played three away games in a row now and not conceded a goal and Liverpool have won all three games. And yesterday I thought they both looked very comfortable and very confident on the ball. And they both looked like they were getting used to each other and to the system. But I still think, you know, in Karim Benzema, you know, you're up to you're up against, you know, not notwithstanding Robert Lewandowski and one or two others, perhaps the greatest centre forward of his generation, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, another player who plays the first five or ten yards of, of any moment in his head, 
he's just so intelligent. I think he and Roberto Firmino is another one, I think, who are just such intelligent center forwards that if you, if you were a wide attacker, you know, like Cristiano or, 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 you know, Sadio Mane or Mohamed Salah, to play with a center forward like Karim Benzema or Roberto Firmino must be a dream because you have these intelligent, hardworking guy creating so much space for you uh, and uh, just seeing moves as they're evolving, um, being able to position themselves to create space for you, draw defenders away, to be able to play intelligence through balls into you, to recognize the runs you're going to make as well as the runs you're making. And, um, you know, Firmino in all likelihood will start Tuesday's game on the bench. I expect Diogo Jota to start at center forward. But you've really got two of the supremely intelligent center forwards of their generation on either side there in Benzema and Firmino. And I just worry about what Benzema's going to do with these two young center backs. That's, that's how, how high a regard I hold him in. You know? um, if there's one thing that might help Liverpool is that, you know, Vinicius obviously is a very dangerous young player, but I don't know that Madrid have a lot of pace in the positions around Benzema. So that may help Liverpool. But I still, I think this ties a genuine toss-up. I would still narrowly favour Madrid just because of the inexperience of Liverpool centre-backs. What, who are you, who are you calling for this time? I think I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with Madrid also. I think um, they're just a well-stacked team. Their midfield yeah. of Modric, Cruz and Casemiro up against Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago is going to be really fun to watch. Henderson's injured, so the midfield, starting midfield for Liverpool will be Fabinho, Thiago, and Wijnaldum. Okay. Which, as, gr- as great a midfield as Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro is, I would not swap that midfield for Fabinho, Thiago, and Wijnaldum. Okay. Take, I, I, I would take Fabinho, Wijnaldum, and Thiago in 2021 10 times out of 10 over Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I do have to say that Liverpool team just has something about them, and those players are definitely very, very special. I think the centre-backs are definitely going to have a really interesting game up against Benzema. Um, I was taking the sports data, I'm taking the sports data class, and one of the things we're kind of analysing is home field advantage. And yeah. Liverpool, I feel like, just have, you know, like the biggest when their fans are in, you know, actually oh. in the stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, 68, 68 games without losing at yeah. Anfield and then six losses on, on the bounce tells you the whole story on that one. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So watching Liverpool play two legs and have one leg at, you know, Anfield with the fans would have just been unbelievable. You know, just especially to have that, like you said, that, like, that pedigree of Real Madrid playing Liverpool with the fans, I think, I think the fans would have just loved it. You know, irrespective yeah, yeah. of what players were on, I think that would have just been such a spectacle to and see. And the Liverpool fans would have turned the city of Madrid red like they always do. On these big <laughs> yeah. It would have been fantastic, you know. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to miss that. I think that's one thing that I'm really, really... I think especially with these big games, it's so good to have the fans there, you know, like as yeah, much as... I agree. I, as much as I love the silence, like these big games require the fans. So I'm going to miss that, but I agree with you. I, I only have one more question for you is, uh, what do you think of Allison's mustache? What did you think of that look? <laughs> it's cool. You know, he's going, I don't know. He's kind of got, he's, he's a very much a, 
you know, he, he's certainly uh, a unique individual in terms of his appearance. I think I like the beard better, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a cool look. It's an interesting look. He's changing it up, and I like that. Yeah. Maybe he's changing it up um, at a time for Liverpool to come out of their slump and change it up and have a strong finish to the season. That's maybe, what I'm yeah, maybe that's what it is. So what, what's the next round of games that you want to talk about? Okay, so we've done the two Wednesday games, I think. So let's move backwards in time now. And uh, Oh, no, we haven't. We've done one Wednesday game and one Tuesday game. I've got the calendar in front of me here. So uh, if we're going to do this in order, let's go back to... Uh, uh, to Tuesday, April the 6th here. We've talked about Real Madrid-Liverpool. So the other game on Tuesday is uh, Manchester City-Dortmund. Share, share your thoughts with me on this matchup. Um, so I've gone from being very pro-Bayern to realizing that right now I think City are just the best team in the world. And like yeah. I think... I think, I think City and Bayern, I was like predicting them to go to the finals and for both of them to be on the same side is, um, you know, a little um, a little sad that way that we don't see them in the final. But I think it's still going to be a good game. Um, saying that and watching Dortmund in their slump right now, as we spoke earlier, um, I think City are going to win this game. But I'm really, really interested to see how Erling Haaland plays against the Premier League team. Yeah. Um, I really want to see him because, you know, there's a highly likely chance that sometime in his career he's going to come to the Premier League. And is he is he up for it is the big question. Can he play against those teams? And this is going to be an interesting start to see, you know. Um, there's a lot of talk about his father and his agent just shopping for clubs right now. And yeah. they're about to do their, like, English tour where they're visiting, like, you know, United, City, Liverpool, Chelsea and uh so you never know you know we might see him next season i think dortmund are just a great team to watch because of all their youngsters so to again get some exposure on them is going to be really good but i think guardiola's as long as he doesn't overthink this as he's been doing for city in the champions league i think city are going to go through uh but there's just something about pep and city in the quarterfinals they just can't make it past it so you never know yeah yeah what about you? What do you think? Uh, yeah, one of my great regrets for this tie is that Jaden Sancho is not going to be fit to play. It would have been lovely to see him and Haaland uh, working You know, some of their lovely combinations up front for Dortmund, especially with Sancho returning to play against his former club City, where he made the decision at a very young age to leave because he didn't feel he was ever going to get a chance at a club like City. And um, his career just hasn't looked back. Uh, since he's one of the best young players on the planet. So I would love to have seen Sancho and Haaland playing together. Um, that being said, I think this is as big a mismatch as the Chelsea-Porto game. And I don't, I don't see City having any trouble whatsoever getting past a poor Dortmund team. I think they'll burn both legs comfortably. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't concede a goal over two legs. And uh, I just think this will be a stroll in the park for City. And I think... This is the year where they'll break through uh, the quarterfinal glass ceiling that they've had with Pep quite comfortably. Uh, I agree with your comments on City being uh, the best team in the world right now. And this is a complete mismatch. It's, you know, it's just 
City or uh, through to, they have one foot in the semi-finals, just like Chelsea do. Okay. Um, what about the final round, which is Bayern versus PSG? Yeah, so this is a really interesting game. I would have predicted Bayern to win this quite comfortably. I think they're up there with City as one of the best two teams in the world. Although I do agree with you that City are pulling away as, as just something else. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, the big X factor that nobody expected is the injury to Robert Lewandowski. And um, I think if anything makes this tie a little bit more competitive uh, than it might have been, is, is it's the absence of the best player in the world for Bayern. And um, yesterday against Leipzig, they played with um, uh, Eric Maxim Chupamoteng up front. And that's a huge drop-off in quality. <laughs> Even though he scored uh, the goal for PSG that kept him in the quarterfinal uh, in the 90th minutes against Atalanta last year. So he's got a decent pedigree in this tournament. Uh, you know, to describe it as a drop-off in quality for Rob Lewandowski is an understatement. That being said, there's all kinds of quality around him. Uh, you know, like Leroy Sané and... Uh, Thomas Muller, Kingsley Coleman, Serge Gnabry, of course. So Bayern still have plenty of attacking elements, um, you know, and they're backed up by a wonderful, wonderful double pivot in midfield of uh, Osio Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. Um, you know, they'll have Alfonso Davis attacking from left back. They've got, you know, Manuel Neuer, in my opinion, probably the greatest goalkeeper that's ever played the game. So they're stacked with talent. Um, uh, you know, uh, I still think Bayern are my prediction from this tie, but I think Robert Lewandowski's absence makes it a bit more of an interesting tie than it would have been otherwise. What are your thoughts? Would you? I have a question. Would you play Muller like as a center forward instead no, of promoting? No, no, because he's just so important to them. You know, buzzing around in that uh, kind of free-roving, attacking role that he has, finding space, creating space, uh, playing intelligent little passes, pulling defenders away for other people to make runs, uh, popping up to score goals. So at that point, not only do you not have your great center forward, but you've taken his partner out of his best position. If there's another solution available to Bayern, it may be moving Serge Gnabry to centre-forward and playing Sané and Coman off the flanks. Now, typically Bayern rotate those three players. They'll start with two of them and have one as an option for the last half hour of a game. Uh, and I think that's what they'll do. I think they'll go with a centre-forward that allows everybody else to play in the position they prefer rather than moving people around. It worked well against Leipzig yesterday. Leipzig are a good team, and Bayern beat them. But that, that's the only surprise we might see, I think, is Gnabry moving over to centre-forward. He's played there before and played very well there before, not only for Bayern, but for the uh, German national football team. But I still think in the balance, they'll, they'll try and keep the structure of the team uh, the way it is already and keep people in positions they're happy with and familiar with. And in order to do that, um, they'll start with Chupa Motang and then whichever out of Coman, Gnabry and Sane doesn't start, I think it's most likely to be Sane off the bench 
will be an option later in the game, as will the young midfield player, Musiala, who's doing very well there. So uh, I expect to see a team not too dissimilar from the one that played against Leipzig yesterday for Bayern. Okay. Uh, have you been watching a bunch of any of PSG? Because, you know, I was looking at their team and there are a lot of players I just don't recognize in that team. No, I saw them in the quarterfinals and they were outstanding. They really were, you know, um, uh, against Barcelona. Um, Mbappe was just absolutely brilliant. And he'll be a handful. But, you know, Bayern have some really experienced defenders. You know, uh, uh, they have, uh, you know, David Alaba. They have two World Cup winners in uh, Pavard and Hernandez. Um, they have Sula. So, you know, I, I think they, and then they have that, like I say, the fantastic defensive midfield pairing of Kimmich and Goretzka. So I feel like they have enough to, uh, and then of course, you know, you've got your last line of defense is, uh, is not. Yeah. I mean, it's my question for you Has, is there ever a better goalkeeper who's played the game than Neuer? Ever? No, that's true. I totally agree with you. Uh, yeah, 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 you know. Um, so, you know, I feel like they've got enough to contain um, the damage that Mbappe and Neymar can can cause over two legs. You know, and of course, you know, Mbappe and Neymar aren't the only attacking threats that PSG have got. They've got Di Maria and Icardi and, uh, and uh, Moise Kena and other people like that. But... Um, mm. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I would still favor Bayern to go through. And if they do, I hope Lewandowski's fit for the semi-final against City. I really do. Yeah, that would be a good game. Um, okay. Who's your pick for this? You still haven't given me a pick for this. I think, no, I'm definitely going to pick Bayern. Yeah, I think, you know, PSG was really impressive in, against Barcelona. and uh, But I think Bayern are still just such a powerhouse. And they're so stable, like you said. They're... Their defense, you know, they have like six, seven solid players that can be playing in those positions. And even after you break through that line, you have to break through, you know, Neuer, who's just such a beast in goal. He almost seems like he covers the entire goal. You know, the only other player I could think of that way that dominated the goal that much was like uh, Peter Schmeichel, you know, just or like Oliver Kahn. Yeah. He's like a big presence in goal. Sure, sure. And I think Neuer, Neuer is better than both of those players with the ball at his feet. And true, I think that's, that's what. That's what makes him the most complete goalkeeper that's ever played the game. He's yeah. dominant in the area. He's a great shot stopper. And, and you know, he, he could have had a career as a defender or midfield player as well. He's so good with all of his feet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... And, and, you know, after him, there's a lot of goalkeepers that, that, that very skill set like you know uh, Marc-Andre Testegen and Alison Becker also have a kind of similar profile of skills but Neuer was the first and is still the best in my mind yeah yeah I totally agree so we we, we both picked Bayern um who are you gonna pick to take it all so I am going for the a complete Fossil fuel petrodollars final this year, and that's going to be oh Manchester God. City against Chelsea. And as much as I'd like, you know, I, I'm a traditionalist in football. I think Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Bayern Munich have got a lot of institutional DNA and know how about how to make it happen when you get to this stage of a big tournament. Okay, so you can't count those three teams out for that very reason. 
They've just done it so many times. Yeah. And, and even if it's a different set of players, in football, it's amazing how much that institutional DNA matters. Yeah. You know? 26 wins between the three of them. You know, so don't, don't count those big boys out. But I think this is the year when new fossil fuel petrodollar money really rules football definitively. And I, I think we will see the global warming final between Man City and Chelsea this year. That's so funny. You know, if that actually happens, that's, uh, that's what we should call it, the global warming final. Uh, the-, <laughs> the polluters will rule the world this year. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I think I agree. I think Chelsea coming on this side, um, I, I do believe and I really hope. When I saw that draw, I was like, yes, like Chelsea can really make it to the final. Um, and on the other side, I, I'm going to agree with you as well. I think City are going to go through and they're going to beat Bayern as well. They're right now over two legs. I think it's going to be really tough to beat them. But that Bayern City game is over two, if we get two legs of Bayern City, that's just, you got you have to be glued on to that game because you're just going to be watching two so, best teams. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. If, if Chelsea get through to the final against City, I will buy a Chelsea jersey and wear it that day. Really? Okay, okay, okay. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least, you know. I bet you never thought you'd hear me say that, right? <laughs> no, you know, but I do feel like apart from Liverpool, you do have a, you know, soft spot for Chelsea. Very much so. So, I would like to see you do well, you know. Uh, I have a lot of uh, Chelsea, well, not a lot, but I have a couple of Chelsea fans, yourself included, that are very dear to me. So if Liverpool aren't going to win it, I'll be very happy to see Chelsea win it all. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be a great end to the season. I'll be really happy with that. Um, but yeah, okay. So, you know, what are your any final thoughts or anything, um, maybe anything about the Europa League or anything like that? Uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, I think uh, United would be the strong favourites in that tournament. I agree, uh, yeah. And I think United fans will be desperate to get uh, the monkey off their back of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not having won anything yet in his third season there. And, um, you know, that's another... But there are some good teams left, the teams that are capable of beating United. Uh, Arsenal, Ajax, uh, Villarreal... You know, they're all good teams. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what's where those teams, whether they're on the same side of the draw or on the opposite side of the draw as United. I haven't done my homework on that one. I apologize mm-hmm. to our listeners. Uh, but um, there are some good teams left in this tournament. Uh, uh, but I, I would expect United are comfortably the best team left in that tournament. Yeah. You know, this, I, I think this is uh, Ollie's best chance at getting, getting his... First trophy as United manager. What mm-hmm. do you think? I, I think I agree. I think um, United and Arsenal seem like the two strongest teams in there. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly about the draw and how they're set up, but uh, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for United to win their first trophy, but also for Arsenal to really fight hard to get that you know Champions yeah. League spot. Um, so this might be their motivation, you know, just get something out of this season so uh it's going to be interesting i'm definitely going to watch uh you know some important games and stuff but you know let's see what happens maybe we'll do an episode about that yeah yeah Uh, definitely i feel like uh 
I feel like we're coming up to the point of the season where there's a lot to talk about so we can record a little bit more often than we have been. You know? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, you'll be hearing from us more often. Um, <laughs> but, hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, hey, before we, before we leave, uh, yeah. uh, obviously, um, we've talked a little bit about Champions League games. So what games are you excited about this week? Uh, you know, give me one in the Champions League that doesn't involve Chelsea and then... Are there any other league games, or have you not had a chance to look at those? I don't, but I can definitely talk about the game I'm going to be watching, the Champions League. I think, um, you know, PSG, Bayern is going to be one game, and then obviously Liverpool, Real Madrid. After you told me about that pedigree, I was like, okay, you know, this is some serious stuff right here. So definitely, definitely. To use the cliche of royal European royalty, I mean, that that game embodies it. Yeah, Yeah. I'll be looking out um, for... For the PSG buying game as well, and yeah, I'll keep an eye on Chelsea and Porto. You know, I hope Chelsea get through, and I think they will quite comfortably. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking at the games. There's like a Juventus Napoli game on the same day um, as the Chelsea and uh, you know the Bayern PSG game, um, and it's like right before. It's at like 12:45 my time, so I might even catch that before as like a pre, you know, like a pre-game before the actual game. I hope none of your professors are listening to this because you clearly <laughs> won't be attending any classes that day. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope he's <laughs> listening. Um, but yeah, those are, those are going to be the games I'm going to be watching. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I haven't really had a chance to look at the coming weekend. I think Champions League really dominates everything. There's a good third versus fourth um, on Saturday for Bundesliga nerds like myself, Frankfurt against Wolfsburg, two teams who really overachieved this season and who we can expect to see in next year's Champions League. So yeah. I'll be watching that. But other than that, it's mainly a Champions League week this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, maybe, you know, we can um, we can talk back soon and because there's just so much yeah. to talk about right now. Absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah, you know, thank you so much all for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I had a great time catching up with my favorite Sonu Mama. What yeah, about yeah, you? yeah. It's a long time since we've uh, chewed the fat, uh, and it's uh, good to do it again. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, 100%. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for yeah, listening. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening, if you made it this far, as always. Yeah, take care. Yeah.